Hotel History is created for adult audiences. Content may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is advised. You're listening to Hotel History. We take you with us through the sordid history and scandals of some of the world's most famous and infamous hotels. I'm Dieta. And I'm Yael. Let's get started. Welcome back. Today we are going to be talking about a place that is described as mythical, glamorous, sexy, seedy, wonderful, tragic, discreet. Anything else that you want to throw in there, Yael? Fun. (laughs) It is kind of fun. It's really fun, yeah. Um, Historical. Yeah. Yeah, they didn't mention Glamorous. Um, Secretive. It's definitely sexy. Yeah. It's, 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 uh, did they say mysterious? They did, yeah. Did they? No, 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 no they didn't. No, they no didn't. I think it's, it's mysterious. It's very mysterious, yeah. yeah. Even at times controversial, perhaps. Yes, yeah. controversial. That's yeah. a good one. And of course, we're talking about the Chateau Marmont located in West Hollywood here in Los Angeles. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure everyone... Maybe not. I had never heard of Chateau Marmont You'd before I lived it? here. Yeah. Oh, before you lived here. But you heard about it once you lived here. Yeah, you told me about it. Wait, was I the first one to tell you about it? Okay, wow. If you don't know about the Chateau Marmont, for people like Dieta, um, <laughs> no, the truth is I only heard about it, you know, the first time I heard about it? Well, it wasn't the first time I heard about it, but it sunk in was I was watching an episode of Anthony Bourdain's show. Oh, yeah. And I think I was living in New York. I'm not sure where I was, but he went to visit LA and he's like, oh, I love this hotel, the Chateau Marmont. And I'm like, ooh, if Anthony Bourdain likes this place, it must be cool. Yeah. (laughs) Um, He had good taste. Yeah, he did have good taste. But they say, uh, according to Vanity Fair... Marmontphilia is an affliction shared by many who pass through the place. And I think that's a hundred percent true. And you can see that with every celebrity who goes there. I mean, this place has been the home to so many people and has been in movies and TV Mm -hmm. shows. And, you know, it really, it inspires such loyalty. Yes. Like the people who stay there, they keep, they continue to stay there for the rest of their lives, basically, unless they're asked not to for whatever reason. Yeah. They have to kick you out. It's, um, yeah. I mean, also we're going to go into more of, uh, definitely the things that inspired it, but there's a rumor that the song Hotel California was based off that, that hotel. Yeah, that, that's the rumor. Everything I read said that it's probably based off of the Beverly Hills Hotel, but oh. but that... Uh, but, I mean, nobody knows for sure, so it could be Chateau Marmont. Yeah, because, like, the same... What's the line? Um, you can always check out, but you can never leave. Yeah. Or something. And yeah. I just was like, yeah, that, that sounds like the Marmont. True, it does, <laughs> yeah. So, there's a famous architect... Edgardo Contini, he well, architect critic. So he he yeah. probably was an architect, but he said the chateau is a fluke, a marvelous fluke, and it really is because it wasn't actually meant to be a hotel, at least right. not in the beginning. Yeah, uh, it was built in 1929. The person that developed it, his name was Fred Horowitz. Well, he 
I think he started with the idea in 1926, and it was finally finished in 1927. Or, or yeah, they they started. I think they. I believe they broke ground in 1928. But he had the idea and was getting everything together throughout 26 and 27. Right, and then and it was actually finished in 1929 and opened. Okay, yeah. I mean, the, it, I, every time I I read about it, the the exact date year goes a little bit all over the place. It's within the 20s, but yeah, yeah. I found um, be, yeah, because then nobody seemed to know. And then I found a book written by one of the owners, and he gave like exact dates for groundbreaking and grand oh, opening. Oh, right, and, that yeah. book he found. So okay. he he actually did his some really good research and found it. Yeah, so Fred Horowitz went to France. He was a lawyer. He actually had never been in real estate before, right? Mm -hmm. And he goes to France, and he's inspired by the many chateaus there, specifically the, I'm going to mess up the name. Chateau d'Ambois. The Blois Valley, the Chateau d'Ambois. It was the one-time home of Mary, Queen of Scots, and is believed to be where Leonardo da Vinci's final resting place is. Um, And, you know, it sounded really nice. Well, it looked really nice. (laughs) It did. It turned out really nice. Yeah. And it was weird because not a lot of places in L.A., do they have that style? I feel no, like not at all. Very few. There are yeah. some like I, if there are now, it. it's probably because of Chateau Marmont. Probably is. Yeah, yeah because before that, if everything was very Mediterranean via courtyard style, only one or two stories. This was the first one of the first buildings that made for um, living that was several stories tall. That just was not the the Los Angeles look. Yeah, it's. I feel like it is a little bit out of place not out of place in a bad way but it's unique i should Mm -hmm. say it's more unique yeah and it's it's back up on a hill which kind of adds to the uniqueness it really does make it kind of look like this grand castle that's looking down on the rest of los angeles although there's so many billboards that are that hides it when you drive through and that's why i was telling i was telling you in this old picture that we saw it doesn't look the same as it did 10 years ago because literally Amazon has put every single billboard in front of it. <laughs> um, yeah, and it when it was built, Fred Har- Horowitz, he built it in West Hollywood. It wasn't called West Hollywood then, but it was unincorporated land in Los Angeles and he kind of didn't have to pay taxes. He didn't need permits. Uh, it was expensive to build, but it was still a deal because no one was telling him he can't do anything. And yeah. And he actually uh, got the land that it sits on um, as part of like one of his investors was like, Oh, I have this land. Let's, you know, you can just have the land and build it there. And that's my, that's my investment in going into this. And so he was able to at least save a little bit of money, not having to buy property. Uh, that, that's a lot. Wow. Yeah. And then the, the construction itself, their budget was 350000 Wow. And it was uh, apparently 15 minutes to everywhere. It's in a good location. I mean, it's in a great location. We yeah. know this now. <laughs> but nothing was built at the time. And you can see the ocean on one side. You can see downtown on the other. It was, um, he, I think he knew. He was just like, yep, this is it. This seems like the right spot. And it was an uh, apartment buildings before it was a hotel and 
Let's see. Yeah, just to kind of situate this in time. So uh, at whenever he decided to look at the property in 26, the Roosevelt Hotel, which we talked about in our last episode, which is in Hollywood, uh, was being constructed at that same time. And uh, the UCLA campus was also being constructed at this time in Westwood to the west of this sunset. Yeah, so LA was area. like yeah. just being built, yeah. I feel like. Um, you know, the Hollywood was being built and there was so much of LA that, you know, was growing at yeah. the time. It was designed by Arnold Weitzman, Fred's brother-in-law, and William Douglas Lee. Oh, but something interesting about the hotel, it was built to be um, earthquake-proof, and the hotel survived earthquakes from 1993-1953-1971-1987-1994 and it didn't uh do any major damage to the structure of the hotel which i think is really cool yeah that's really impressive especially considering when it was built but yeah they i believe they had they like poured double concrete and had it steel reinforcement so it's it's a very safe building to be
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, oh, can I talk to your husband about yeah. that? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So before uh, they settled on the final name, they were um, trying to figure out what to call the chateau. So they came up with Chateau Sunset, Chateau Hollywood. And then they finally settled on Chateau Marmont, which was the actual street. It was sat on Marmont Lane. Um, and not after the actor Peter Marmont, which that's a rumor. It's not true. <laughs> I'm really glad they didn't name it Chateau Sunset. I know it makes sense because it's above Sunset Boulevard, yeah. but that kind of sounds... It ruins it. it, it yeah, and it, and it makes it actually makes... To me, it makes it sound like a brothel that's trying to sound classy. <laughs> that's very true. Um, I think also he wanted to be... He wanted it to be authentic to the French chateaus, mm. and that's why he probably was like, "Yeah, Marmont sounds French." Yeah, it so. sounds French, and there that there is this like, I want to be classy, but when it's not, it's brothelly yeah. French, like Moulin Rouge. Mm. And he was staying away from that. Yeah, he was he was old school French. <laughs> um, the Chateau Marmont has sixty three rooms, including suites, cottages, and bungalows, one bar, and one restaurant. I don't know if they have a bar anymore. I guess they do inside the lobby, yeah, in the but lobby, they, they, they used do. to have a different bar uh, that no longer exists. They have a pool, and it wasn't dug until after World War II, so they didn't have much going on uh, until after, and it's a pretty small pool. Yeah. Um, they didn't even have a bar and restaurant when it opened, and they only got their liquor license, I think, in yeah, 1992. Yeah. Um, but an average room at the time... Or the monthly rent at the time was, was that 750 in, but that was yeah, in the 1970s. In, in that time. No, in, so in the, in the late 20s, as an apartment building, they wanted it to be for like the upper crust. And so the, was, the nicest one, like the penthouse, its monthly rent was 750 oh my God, a month. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say that's a lot for 1920s. Yeah, it was. And actually people at the time kind of scoffed and they were like, they want how much for this building in the middle of nowhere that we've never heard yeah. of before. Uh, but people actually, people did, did pay it. Like the, the socialites uh, all started showing up and renting rooms because yeah. it kind of became the, the cool place to, but that was a big issue, the hotel, or at the time, the apartment space. No one knew about it. There wasn't, like, right. really advertising. It was hidden. And they struggled to get people to fill up the apartments because they had no one knew it existed. Uh, and then the Depression happened. Yeah, and unfortunately, like, not that long after they opened, because yeah. they opened in 1929 in, like, February. So by October... <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> Wall Street has crashed and all of the people they thought were going to be renting those apartments uh, are no longer have the money <laughs> that they had. Yeah, and you can also, based on the price, how it went up and down during certain points of history and how the economy was, for example, the 1970s, you could rent a room for $14. Yikes. But at that time, no one wanted to hang out in the lobby because you would see like a mouse running across the carpet and maybe someone on drugs or something. Yeah, it yeah, it definitely had was a roller coaster. But then in the 90s, you know, it went up to 150 and then today it's 950 a night and the penthouse is $5,000 a night. Yeah, so they're Pretty. back on top. <laughs> yeah, they're back on top, but I'm sure uh, hopefully they stay there, but I'm sure that you can get a deal probably. Probably. If on a smaller room. 
but there are not that many rooms. It's a, they can keep it expensive. There's not that you know people want to stay there, and there's not many. But uh, also to note, the restaurant didn't open until 2003. Yeah. Why did I think it was before? Um, before then, they they had a sh- for at least different portions of the time there, especially in the early like the 40s and 50s. They had a chef who would make anything that you ordered, oh. but it had to be taken to your room as room service. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah it wasn't a public restaurant. So oh yeah, also um, the apartments that each are. The original hotel was built like a, an apartment with a little kitchen. And to this day, when you go into a lot of these hotel rooms, they have like the whole kitchen yeah. and it's set up like a small little apartment. Um, yeah. So it's not just a tiny little hotel room. It is a, a much nicer space. Yeah. And yeah, so it wasn't doing well. <laughs> it was doing well, but not really. Uh, but they sold it. In 1931, or Fred Horowitz sold in 1931 to Albert E. Smith, the co-founder of Vitagraph Studios, for $750,000 in cash. So he made a profit. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, he made, yeah they made about like 300000 in profit, I think. Yeah. Which is amazing. For that time, with the, the depression coming on so strong, that was an amazing deal that they yeah, got. Yeah. To get anything back. Yeah. And the... The equivalent today is thirteen million. Mm-hmm. Um, so Smith, the guy who's co-founder of Vitagraph Studios, he was a pioneer in the silent film era, and he discovered Rudolf Valentino. Mm-hmm. Who's Rudolf Valentino? He was a silent film star. He was oh. like he played the the chic. And oh, okay, yeah. okay, I know who he is now. Secretly closeted. Yeah. Well, weren't they all? Yeah. <laughs> but I thought he was uh, the designer for a second, but that's a different Valentino. <laughs> um, and then he sold Vitagraph to Warner Brothers in 1925. So he was, yeah, that makes sense. He was wealthy, and then he yeah. bought the hotel. Um, he was honored with an Academy Award in 1947 for his contributions to the movie industry. And yeah, like, I think he even invented a type of camera that was used. Oh, really? Back then, yeah. Oh, wow. What a guy. Yeah, he was a big deal. Uh, Smith owns it until 1942. Uh, from 1942 to 63, it was owned by Erwin Bredauer. Oh, is this the German guy? Mm-hmm. Okay, the mysterious German guy. Yeah. So this was a he was a German banker who had he was uh he had funded films in Weimar Germany and he actually bankrolled the politician who ran against Adolf Hitler. He was a staunch anti-fascist. Like he hated it. Um, so obviously he wasn't going to be able to hang out in Germany for much longer after that. Um, but. Because of because he was so against fascism and discrimination of that sort, uh, he was noted because he, for allowing black guests into the hotel during this time of racial segregation. So people like Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, and Sidney Poitier stayed there all the time when they wouldn't have been allowed in any of the other um, really famous and expensive hotels, even though these are, of course, some of the top names in yeah. the movie and music industry. He really had no, he had like a zero tolerance yeah. for uh, racism or discrimination. Yeah, even ho- even homophobia because they allowed, yeah. they they were like, hey, is, you know. 
Well, whatever you want to do what? here, keep it private. It's it's your life. Which actor who was racist, um, like refused to go in through the lobby or to park to to give his car to the valet because the valet boy was black, and he refused to interact and he like parked his car on the side. There oh, was some I don't actor. remember. Um, yeah, but the the interesting thing about it is that they weren't going to fold. This this was a famous actor, or I'm pretty sure it was a famous actor and. I'm blanking, but they were like, we don't care. We don't care what's popular or what's accepted here. You're being racist and we're not going to accommodate you. Yeah. So, and he had to accommodate them. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, because that guy couldn't go fuck himself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then during World War II, the hotel, the hotel served as an air raid shelter for residents in the surrounding area. So, uh, you know what? It probably could have withstand it because, yeah. you know, it was Earthquake built. proof. Why not be bomb proof too? <laughs> <laughs> but it, it, you know, I don't think they had to. I'm not sure if they had to, but he also willing. The guy was like very much, he wanted to contribute, I, yeah. I feel like, um, to what was going on and to be a place where, a safe haven, which is like a major theme mm-hmm. about this hotel is that everyone calls it a safe haven. Um, Literally, and spiritually, not spiritually, but uh, figuratively. (laughs) Metaphorically, metaphorically, yeah. yeah. Uh, But also spiritually, they come to uh, recuperate after their trauma. Yeah. So um, after uh, Brett Tower sells it, the hotel kind of goes through a period of owner to owner to owner. Nobody really seemed to want to put a lot of money into it. I think it probably came close to being torn down a few times. But next up was uh, William Weiss, a real estate developer, who bought it in 63. But within two years, he sold it to another real estate person, uh, Guiford Glazer? Guyford? Guilford. 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 He moved into the (laughs) chateau uh, during his divorce and wanted to fix it up, but it took too much money because at this point it was, it was been a while since any renovations had been done. So he sold it in 65 to um, kind of a a real estate group, a holding company. Um, So this holding company buys it, but couldn't turn a profit and put it back on the auction block within a year. And there were some bids, but none of the bids, none of the bids even met the reserve that they had set up. So this, that right there shows you how fall, how far the chateau had fallen at this at this point in this in the late sixties. It's starting to to maybe reflect more of the seediness that uh, some people remember. Um, it took another year for a group of attorneys to form a corporation, Chateau Marmont and uh, Limited, and buy it. They kept it for about eight years, but they didn't do any improvements or renovations during that time. And they put it on the market, and it was finally sold in 1975 to Raymond Sarlo and Carl Contargian. Uh, they planned to try to fix it up and sell it and turn a profit, um, they only bought it for one point one okay. million dollars. That was that was pretty crazy. Yeah. So wow, <laughs> that's so little. Um, but they fell in love with the place and ended up owning it for the next um, fifteen years, I think. Um, so they made 
a ton of improvements and kind of pulled it out of that CD reputation and set it up for uh, its next owner to really pull it into the limelight. But before we go there, I want to just mention with um, Erwin Betterwow. Bretower? Bretower. Yeah. That is not how you say it. Bretower, <laughs> not Betterwow. <laughs> he had like a crazy, I know we kind of went over it, but he he had like a crazy life, right? I feel like there was something we're missing. Yeah. He there was a lot of of things with him, like his dad and and he was an interesting guy. If you guys want to do more research, you should do it. <laughs> I uh, there was a lot on him. We don't have enough time to talk about him, but yeah, he was a really fascinating. He was probably my favorite owner out of all of them. Yeah. He was he was really interesting, um, and just that that whole time period of of World War Two and him trying to fight against fascism and um was and just. He was, yeah, and I and he was. Um, I think he got into some other things like art and things as yeah. well. So yeah, so his name was Erwin Erwin Brettauer. If you are interested in that sort of time period, I never knew that learning about hotels. That's where all the weird names would exist. <laughs> there really are so many there names that we so have not many. known how to pronounce. They're from not the plaza up through here. It's not even like, okay, weird isn't bad. They're just difficult names to pronounce. Yeah, they're just not common names yeah, not that common we names. see a ton. So, okay. yeah. Well, okay. Now we're back to the more up-to-date Chateau. Yeah. Um, and and Sarlo, uh is actually wrote a book after he had sold, uh, many years after he, after he had sold the Marmont. I think it came out in 2013, actually. Um talking uh, about the history of the Marmont. So that is uh, one of our sources and something that you could uh, check out. They have it on uh, for Kindle and I believe paperback as well on Amazon. It's called uh, Life at the Marmont. Pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In 1999, Sarlo and Canterjean. Or 1990. Oh, 1990. I read that wrong. I'm sorry. <laughs> um correcting for all the haters out there yeah don't don't send us emails yeah <laughs> reading is hard actually send us emails yeah, you know, we're us. lonely <laughs> we need some feedback um yeah they sold it to the current owner now andre ballas for 12 million dollars which is so nothing they did get their profit though since they only they bought got it for one million <laughs> i don't know how much yeah. they spent renovating it but that's still a pretty decent profit. They did. You, you know, even if it was like $5 million, Yeah. Which is as much as how much it was built for. Although you have to add in inflation, whatever. Anyways, he's they a steal. Yeah. <laughs> for the... Because you know what? In 1990, or like at this time, Trump is buying the plaza for like $650 million. Yeah. yeah. But the plaza is bigger. Okay, so maybe I got to look into things. And it's the plaza. Like everybody's known what the plaza was since the day it opened, whereas nobody really knew about Chateau Marmont until the 80s. And you'll know, you'll find out why when we get there. Yeah. That's true. Okay. Makes sense. Maybe that's what it was worth. I think it I think it was more valuable than that, but um he got a good deal. Yeah. Well, I think he, that he probably thought it was more valuable than that too and <laughs> and knew true. what he was getting into. Yeah. He, he picked it up at the right time. Um, but even, uh, it's, it was during the eighties. So even after the renovation in the seventies and during the eighties, they fix it. But then the hotel starts to go kind of 
down the yeah. drain. It's a lot of work from what from what we've been finding to maintain a hotel. <laughs> it takes it's a, a lot, lot of, work of work and money. Yeah. And uh, like the, just the interior carpets mm. were torn. The paint was coming off the walls. Um, as I said, also during the 70s, like there were rodents in the lobbies. Like no one wanted to, yeah. you know, hang out there. Uh, and during the 90s, there was a manager. His name was Philip Pavel. He was the longtime manager there. And he was talking to Helmut Newton who's a famous photographer who stayed at the hotel and was like a frequent guest. I think he lived there for a while, right? Uh, yeah, he would live there for a portion of time every every winter. Okay. Um, you know, he, Helmut Newton would say uh, that he loved the gothic nature of the despair. And it kind of like, he, he really enjoyed the decrepitness of this <laughs> hotel. <laughs> but he, he sat down with Ballas. So Ballas is new and he's, uh, Helmut Newton is, is uh, you know, basically he has Marmontphilia. Yeah. And he's a longtime resident and he sits him down and he's expressing his concerns about refurbishing the place. And while he's talking and telling him, you better not fuck it up, don't mess it up, you better keep it as it is, a giant spring shoots out from the couch that they're sitting on. <laughs> Um, and that's everything you need to know. Perfect about. timing. Gotta love that universe. <laughs> yeah. But also interesting is that um, another part was that Philip Pavel. He said he also talked to a lot of people about working at the hotel, right? Mm -hmm. And he said that he went to three psychics, claiming the hotel was built on an energy vortex. Three. Ooh. I don't know if there was three different ones. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. <laughs> I don't know if they knew each going other. Back to the but they're like, oh, the energy at this place. Yeah. Do you think they all have like a lot, like a kind of like a prayer chain that they can all call each other and be like, oh, this person called so. and asked this question. I Here's what so. I told them. <laughs> I think they all are in a WhatsApp group <laughs> and they're all talking about like, watch out for the lady. She just wants to be told she's rich and famous or she's going to be rich and famous. <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, also Andre Ballas, the guy who buys it in 1990, he, um, he does his best to refurbish the hotel and to make it look like it hasn't been touched since its opening in 1920s or 30s. Yeah. And when you go in there today, it, it really does feel that way. But he had to change everything. Everything yeah. was just like disgusting and broken and cheap. They they kind of replaced it with cheap stuff, right? For a while. Yeah, like yeah, because in the '30s, they when it became a hotel, they filled it with with um, really really nice antiques because everything was so cheap from all of the people who'd lost all of their money in the stock market. They were oh, all right. selling their stuff for super cheap. So in the '30s, it looked really nice, but then it just people kept stealing the furniture. It just it went downhill. Yeah, and everything was torn up by 1990. Yeah. And it, um, yeah, and he did a really good job because I think Helmut Noon said, I, could, I couldn't tell that he did anything. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't either realize there was a spring coming out of the couch. So. <laughs> uh, but the, the, guy, the, the guy who owns the hotel, Andre Ballas, is a controversial person. He, um, he's dated some famous celebrities. He's had a relationship with Chelsea Handler and was engaged to Uma Thurman. And, uh... Has some sexual allegations. Yeah. Sexual assault allegations. Little, against him. yeah. Some, um, 
He also wrote a book, and we bought the book, the Chateau Marmont's Hollywood Handbook, which goes over a lot of like scandals and, and stories and history from other books. And we kind of thought that was weird. <laughs> and the only reason is because the Chateau, the whole thing about the Chateau is that it's very secretive. It keeps everyone's secrets and you don't talk about this thing. And here is the owner of the hotel making a book. He, I think he wrote it in the 90s about all the scandals and all the, like the gossip. And he kind of cashes in on the mystery of the Chateau yeah. to this day, I think. Yeah. yeah. Cause he, he's the one that also is like, we should open a bar. He opens the bar. Yeah. Bar he opened bar down, Marmont. like yeah. down the street. That's closed. Now that closed before the pandemic. And then he, he's the one that opened a restaurant in the mm-hmm. hotel. Yeah. And he kind of secretly, not so secretly wanted people to come and gawk at celebrities to see, even though they're very protective and you, they tell you not to bring cameras and take pictures, he, I think he knew what he was doing. Yeah. It's, yeah, because if weird. you make it a, a hot spot for celebrities, then people who want to see celebrities are going to come. Yeah. Um, he's been in a lot of scandals, allegations, and there have been also conflict within the hotel and the staff and labor laws and we'll talk about more of uh, the scandals of Ballas Andre Ballas later but he's definitely been just uh, I, I would say he's the he's been the focal point and the um, he's been in the spotlight as much as the celebrities that have stayed in his yeah. hotel okay so also something interesting to know so when the chateau was built other small areas were being, other small stores were being built in the area, and slowly the famous West Hollywood Sunset Boulevard was being um, built up and, and growing. And there were, they started, it started to become a place where people would go to party, to drink. A lot, it would start to become a hotspot, and especially for celebrities that were staying at the chateau, they would go across the street to this famous place called the garden of Allah it was a hotel but it was used as like a club and a party scene and then there was Schwab's which was a pharmacy diner spot yeah yeah so like those were the two main places that you can see celebrities and the lot of a lot of stuff went down especially at the garden of Allah like it was hedonistic <laughs> so yeah <laughs> whatever was going on at the chateau uh, 10 times worse was going on at the garden of Allah. yeah oh and also during this time this is my little favorite bit is that if let's say you were out you were staying at the hotel you went out you're drunk the chateau people would just come and pick you up with a car like no questions asked and it, and it was just like sober driving. I don't know. We yeah. should have that again. Yeah, like I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially like we should have had that before Uber came along. That would have been so nice if it's so responsible. If the if the yeah, if whatever hotel you were staying at just made that a, an amenity, like a perk of staying there, that they would just send a car for you if you but, got shwasty faced. I think the reason they did it was because of to prevent scandal. Because oh, if the yeah. celebrities or people were really drunk and they were like, shh, don't tell anyone. And so you get a driver to pick you up. And then 
those people had all the stories. I think they also liked it. Yeah. I don't know. When we were reading the book, it felt like they kind of, they kind of went, got off on this. Like we got the, you know, the scandals and the stories of these, um, right. The dirt on these yeah. celebrities. I would love that job. I'd be like, I'm going to go pick up, you know, uh, yeah, it also Clark makes Gable sense though, because like a lot of the studios would rent out rooms and just have them on retainer, and they would if they had a a star in town that uh, needed a place to stay, they would just send them to the chateau. So it makes sense because the studio heads are not going to want people getting in trouble and having it, you know, blasted all over the gossip tabloids. And so it makes sense that the chateau would be like, okay, well, you know, these studios are paying us every single month to just hold these rooms. So we're going to work with them to give the... The, the studios were very involved in their life, in yeah. their marriages and who they dated. Um, so yeah, they definitely encouraged the hotel to get involved and prevent any stories leaking and ruining their perfect image. Even though it's crazy how none of them were perfect. Yeah. Did they know at the time? Did people know? I, I feel like they must have known. It's not, I can't, you know, but no social media. They had it more control Yeah, at the time. Yeah, we're going to get into some Hollywood juicy secrets. Yeah, so uh, in the 30s, that's when it completed its transition from apartment building to apartment hotel, basically. And it was managed by a former silent film actress, Anne Little. She was the manager there for a really long time. And uh, during this time, the principal residents of the Chateau were actually Blue Bloods, not Hollywood types, um, though some lesser known actors did stay there. But it was a lot of socialites basically staying there. For uh, Hollywood, though, as we said, the studios would often keep rooms there. In 1932, an MGM producer, Paul Byrne, was found dead in what has officially been ruled a suicide. Uh, it's linked to his troubled marriage and some financial problems but so that is probably the first scandal that happens at the chateau is this suicide yeah and he he has there is a lot more to that story um, uh, some people claim was he married to gene harlow no no he was married to uh, i think he was married to someone else and there was like rumors that he was impotent that there like that was a part of his issues and his probably not feeling great about himself but yeah it's it, it won't be the last death in the yeah, chateau definitely not um yeah and at that time we have our first r- true movie star and she takes a room in the chateau and it's jean harlow along with her new husband so jean harlow was the Marilyn Monroe of her time. Mm-hmm. And- yep. Yeah. Actually, Marilyn Monroe based her look off of yeah. Jean Harlow. So Jean Harlow was like considered to be like the the sex pot actress at the time. Yeah. And she was been married a few times. Yeah. She uh, was she she was married so many times so quickly. Like she was so young. And she she died when she was like twenty six. So yeah. She was she died when she was twenty six. So she like got a lot of living into a very short period of time. Yeah. She was, um, listen, the men uh, of that era were sleazeballs, but the women were not any better. She was scouting the yeah. lobby. She's like, oh, hello. What's your room number? Let me just come up there. So anyways, before, I mean, while she was doing that, she, um, she was married to Harold Ronson. 
yes. And so this was her third husband already. Yeah. And they stayed at the chateau for their honeymoon. Mm -hmm. And while she's there on her honeymoon and her husband is off on business or whatever, I think it was like an arranged by the studio marriage. Right? I don't remember. Very, that's totally It was a loveless marriage (laughs) or a neglected marriage. She starts to have have an affair with Clark Gable who is known to have a lot of affairs, as we mentioned in our last episode. But that was his real love affair with Carol Lombard. Yeah. But while she's on her honeymoon, she's having an affair with Clark Gable at the hotel. And uh, there are other things that happen where it's her sneaking out and her mom is, like, involved and, like... Yeah, she actually... So Harlow has a mansion. She had a mansion in Bel Air oh, at the time. It. Yeah. But she and her husband moved into the chateau because her mother and stepfather lived with her in the mansion and they were constantly butting into her life and her husband basically demanded. He was like, either they leave or we leave. And so Jean Harlow was like, yeah, it'll be a lot less drama if we just leave. Oh so. my God. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. She got kicked out of her own house. But she kind of liked it because she, I think she, oh, she had her own entrance to her room. Oh. And she would have men come in and out all the time. <gasps> Scandalous. So, but yeah, but so her, her second husband had just died a year previous. It's a year later. She's already remarried. Um, but her, it was very mysterious. It seems to be a suicide, but... No one's positive. Uh, There was a note written to Harlow apologizing for something that happened, quote, last night. But MGM executives came to the house and staged the scene. And they were there for hours before the police arrived. What? Because she called the studio before she called the police. And they were like, don't do anything. We'll be right there. And because they wanted, she was like their moneymaker. So they didn't want anything to make her look bad or bring her opinion, a public opinion about her down. And so nobody really knows if it was a suicide or something else went down and they just staged it to look like a suicide. And of course this is the early thirties when I I don't know, police work, detective work, not, not held to the (laughs) same standard (laughs) as it is now. So, wow. I, knew something happened but i forgot it was that and if it wasn't a suicide then why would they yeah why would they feel the need yeah, to keep no, the police no she yeah. did something maybe Somehow. by accident yeah and if it wasn't her maybe it was someone she was having an affair with yeah did something who knows but yeah yeah this is why people stayed at the chateau very suspicious they go out and they accidentally kill people <laughs> Only her. But um, someone else very famous uh, staying at the Chateau was Billy Wilder. He wrote Sabrina, Some Like It Hot, Sunset Boulevard, Double Indemnity, The Seven Year Itch, among a th- probably a thousands a thousand of others. More, yeah. All the good One of the movies. most prolific screenwriters, probably. Yeah. So he was staying in the Chateau, fleeing Nazi Germany. This is before he wrote anything. In 1933, right? He he was yeah. He had he had done some he had done some movies in uh, Paris. He he fled to Paris first, um, and and did some movies there. Uh, But then he had to continue fleeing, obviously. Uh, But he had not written any of his famous things until he got here. Oh, okay, yeah, that's what I thought. He could. His mom didn't want to come back, go leave Vienna with to go to France or America with him. So uh, she stayed and. 
did she die? Yeah, she died. He Aww. it was like his lifelong, his whole lifelong after that. He was so upset that he could not convince her to to come why, back with him. Why, I, I, that I would go. Well, yeah, hindsight. <laughs> but I mean, but not even like you know what's going down by 1933, 1934. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how old she was, you know, when some people That's they true. just it's hard to uproot your life and go somewhere brand new, and I'm sure a lot of people were in denial about what was going down. That's true, yeah. Because they'd never seen it happen before, so in their lifetimes. So I'm sure they thought, oh, it's going to calm down. It's going to calm down. Yeah. Especially like the wealthier Jews in Vienna yeah. were just kind of like, oh, let's yeah. not think about yeah, it. Yeah. Like it, it, we've, we've had worse, like it'll get better. It's yeah. fine. We always go through this, but yeah, cause it's, it's 1935 in this point. So World War II hasn't started. There hasn't right. been any major aggression yet. Yeah. So he comes, he comes back to the Chateau. He doesn't tell the manager, so he doesn't have a room, but he convinces her so that he can stay in the uh, ladies' room in the lobby. And it was during a very crowded uh, holiday season in 1935. And he said it was a small room, but it had six toilets. <laughs> and he loved it. I think he was like so happy that he even got to stay in the public ladies' mm-hmm. bathroom in the lobby. And he was more than happy to be there. Yeah, he basically said, like, I'll, I would rather sleep in a closet here than in a really nice room somewhere else. He was like, this is where I'm, yeah. I want to be here. <laughs> I'll do whatever it takes. And they were like, all right, fine. Yeah. Here, just don't be a creeper. <laughs> <laughs> don't be a creeper, but here's the ladies bathroom. <laughs> so yeah, I think it had like a little like vestibule off of the ladies room and that's where he actually would sleep. Mm. So <laughs> I guess there was a little partition between oh, him and the bathroom. Oh, so he could just spy. Yeah. <laughs> Great. I mean, I have a shy bladder. If I walk in and see a man asleep, you'd, I know that has probably happened to me living in LA. I'm sure I've walked into a bathroom and seen a man asleep on the floor, but I'm not going to use that bathroom. Oh, no, no. I'm going to turn around and walk right back out. No, no. Yeah. So they had to hide him. Another famous actor, or someone from Hollywood, Humphrey Bogart, moves his elderly mother in the chateau in 1938. And she would walk around Sunset Strip telling everyone who... <laughs> She met who her son was. I wonder if anybody believed her or if they were just I like, don't think so. That crazy old lady. <laughs> Would you? No. My son's Humphrey Boga. <laughs> you know, Bogey. <laughs> like, all right, lady. But he probably knew that. He probably didn't even care. Yeah. But it's sweet that he even moved his mother into like a nice hotel for her to stay or apartment, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. From what, from what I read, he had immense respect for his mom. Like he loved her and she was, she seems like quite a lady. Like she was an artist. She made her own fortune through her art outside of what, whatever income, uh, Humphrey Bogart's father made. Like his mom was a career woman basically. Yeah. And I'm sure it probably is nicer to have a mom that's so proud of you that Mm -hmm. you'd go around telling random strangers than have like a mother that doesn't like give a shit about you Mm -hmm. or is like drunk all the time. So he's probably, all right, I'll I'll take it. Um, and another famous person who stayed there was F Scott Fitzgerald. Um, and there's a rumor that he had a heart, heart attack at the Chateau, but he did it. He, it, he had a heart attack, but it was at Schwab's drugstore across the street in 1940. But the hotel does play a connection to the writer because he stays there. And then he, um, they, 
he wrote while he was staying there. And he also, he had a, an apartment in that area, by the way. I actually went to go see it oh, cool. at a, a walking tour. So I know he lived in West Hollywood at some point. <laughs> but uh, the hotel, like, really respected him. And they designated a cocktail drink to one of his um, characters, Daisy Buchanan from The Great Gatsby. I don't know if they did that much late. They did that much later, though. It would have had to be, yeah, because their bar didn't it only open until, until yeah, 1992. So. <laughs> <laughs> much, um, much later. But I think they probably knew at the time he was a famous writer when he was alive. No. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Is there a famous hotel that Fitzgerald didn't do? No. Hang out at. It seemed to be his. his Fitzgerald, go-to like he sounds like my kind of guy. <laughs> He would just go and drink and write at all the pretty hotels. He was really into like pretty things yeah. and like that life. Um, even if he wrote about like the scandals of it, I think yeah. There, if you if you were him, wouldn't it's you? True. As what you're like, yeah. If if you're a writer, people watching is what you want. So yeah. hotels are a great place for that. Yeah, you're not going to write the good stuff by staying in one place yeah. and having the same life over and over. Another famous person, Howard Hughes. Famous uh, producer and aviator and ladies' man <laughs> and pervert and voyeur. <laughs> Just your resident voyeur. He stayed. At, he lived at the Chateau for three years and he stayed in Suite 64, which is huge. It had 3,000 square feet, had a, ba- a huge, beautiful balcony, which they still use to this day for like runway shows I saw and people rent it for parties. But he would spy on the women in the swimming pool because from the balcony you can see it. And then he would look, he, so he'd go, he would look at the women, go down, <laughs> and get the women he spied on to audition in his room later that day. Did they ever get the part? Probably not. No, they did Creepy. not. <laughs> he probably wasn't even working on a movie. <laughs> no, he had no movie. Gross. But you think they knew? They definitely knew. I probably, they, yeah. Some of them knew, some of them didn't know. But yeah, he was, uh, he was your classic <laughs> Hollywood predator. Then there was a famous Hollywood executive, Harry Cohn, and he would have a lot of affairs at the hotel. <laughs> he kept a room also on retainer for actors to use. while um, So they wouldn't do anything scandalous in the public. He knew people were going to mess around, and he's like, you do it at the Marmont where it's yeah, safe. Exactly. Um, and he's the one who's he's quoted saying, if you must get in trouble, do it at the Marmont. He was a smart guy and also a pervert. I mean, there are so many perverts. <laughs> Just uh, he was like open about his affairs. It yeah, sounds like. Um, oh, and then another uh, very famous actress, Vivian Lee. Uh, you'll know her from Gone with the Wind. She played Scarlett O'Hara. Um, she uh, claimed that she brought her uh, very valuable art like Picasso and Renoir to brighten up her suite. Um, she stayed there after she was divorced from Laurence Olivier, which she seemed like she had a really hard time recovering from. She plastered her room in framed photographs of him and she would talk to the staff about my Larry and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh God. She was you know, very she, sad. I think she had bipolar. She was, yeah. yeah. She, was, she was very sick. Oh, yeah. Poor Vivian Lee. But if you're going to be crazy. Yeah. Because be before they, the they had a great love affair before, um, before, yeah, before her disorder ruined her life, basically. 
It sounds like that's the common theme in Hollywood yeah. at this time. It's like, I have a problem and I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> or, or it's too early in the history of psychology for anybody to take yeah. me seriously when I say I have a problem. Yeah. Let me just drink my problems yeah, away. Exactly. Mental health, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone ever used that saying back then. <laughs> no. She's just hysterical. She's hysteria. Take her uterus out. <laughs> Lobotomize her. <laughs> um, yeah, so, okay, we're going into the 1950s and 60s, and the celebrities don't stop coming in. Uh, the comedian Groucho Marx was a regular at the Chateau, and according to legend, he once complained to the hotel's manager about the noise from nearby construction. In response, the hotel gave him a room on the top floor, which turned out to be directly under the construction <laughs> site. Did they do that to him on purpose? I hope so. Why? <laughs> That's just hilarious. It is funny, but like, poor guy. I know, no, that would suck. There's construction going on in my apartment right now, and I feel for him because it's seven in the morning. That that jackhammer is not what you really want to be hearing. So, no, I, I absolutely feel for him. Yeah, poor... I mean, he must have said something to upset a manager. (laughs) Like, if it was on purpose, I'm wondering if maybe he was not being so nice beforehand. But maybe they didn't know. Maybe they really thought they were getting away from it. Yeah. You know what? You never know. Uh, Also, the hotel, as we mentioned before, wasn't just a place where it was, you know, progressive and uh, allowing... people from all backgrounds to work, to stay, but it was a sanctuary for gay Hollywood. I don't think they advertised that, but everyone knew it. Yeah, everyone knew. And that's where closeted actor Anthony Perkins and Tab Hunter began their two-year affair by meeting at the pool. I didn't know who these people are, by the way, until I read this. (laughs) No, I think I've heard of Anthony Perkins, but I'd never heard of Tab Hunter. Yeah. Tab Hunter... It's a really interesting name. Is that short for something? Tabalaba ding dong. <laughs> Tabatha. <laughs> Tabalaba ding dong. Um, that's, from the old country. Yeah. <laughs> they they weren't gonna get kicked out for people knowing what's going on. And I feel like at some hotels, although that's how you lose business. Mm. You're in Hollywood. Yeah. If you can't keep the secrets, you're not making money. Yeah. That's Hollywood's tagline. <laughs> if you can't keep the secrets, you're not making money. You're all welcome. You're allowed to use it as long as you credit me. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's true. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. During this time also in the 50s is when the famous Sahara showgirl went up outside the the building there was this gigantic uh, revolving showgirl that was alongside a billboard uh, advertising the Sahara in Las Vegas the casino and some some loved her some detested her it just kind of depend depended on who you Things were Things were written about her movies were made mm-hmm. about her yes there was a novel where she featured a, a movie from that novel yeah she was she was kind of an icon for 16 years yeah so we'll, we'll come back to the sahara showgirl but she was like this big uh billboard right there's this little corner when you go when you drive up to the hotel that little thing is where a, a lot of um yeah not explaining it right, but if you 
if you Google, <laughs> yeah, you can. Go- Google they they it. still have they have old photos of the Sahara Showgirl. You can yeah. see her. She was enormous. Yeah, I don't think I thought she was going to be way more ugly. Me too. From the description yeah. of of some of the the residents of the hotel who hated her, you would think that it was just the worst eyesore you've ever yeah. seen. But I guess we're we're probably jaded from all of the advertisements that we just see know on what a an eyesore is. Basis. <laughs> yeah. Have they seen the Scientology buildings? <laughs> Have they seen the Amazon billboards? <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So they didn't. They didn't know. They were no. complaining. They didn't even know. Um, some other famous people that stayed there: Marilyn Monroe and Arthur Miller. Um, Grace Kelly. She a- was uh, <laughs> a hoochie too. <laughs> Talk about predatory behavior. She would try to get the room numbers of guests she found handsome from the desk clerks. What was she going to just like barge into the room or was she going to knock or? I have a question. You're a guy, single guy, maybe not single. You're staying at the Chateau Marmont and Grace Kelly knocks on your door and says, hey, you want to get busy? What are you going to say? No. (laughs) You want to park your yacht in my Monaco Harbor? (laughs) Like she obviously learned this from Jean Harlow, but you, you, you. I'm so surprised because Grace Kelly, Grace, she is a princess. She's a princess. She's refined. She's like sophisticated. You know and- the blonde Audrey Hepburn, and it yeah. turns out, hoochie mama. She's a hoochie mama, and she's get it, girl. Uh, you know, but she ended up with that ugly ass prince, and <laughs> I just, I, it's funny that that's what she would do, and maybe she knew. Like yeah. she's like, yeah, I'm gonna settle down yeah. soon. I need. She's a- like, I need to get mine yeah, because I- after I marry this prince, I'm never gonna have fun again. Yeah, I need a, a, a sow my wild oats. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, just uh, I don't. I can't imagine her being rejected. Yeah, by any true. of the men Absolutely. that come through there. So she knew. Grace Kelly knew what she looked like and knew who she was, and she was gonna take full advantage. Yes. And good for her, Absolutely. but also surprising. Surprising, but but like, hey, yeah. Yeah, and I, I wonder if any of them were like, can you tell Grace not to come tonight? <laughs> I'm kind of tired. Like, I'm not actually into blondes. If you could yeah. just pass that along. <laughs> uh, you know, the only time I can imagine someone saying no is Anthony Perkins. It's like, tell Grace. <laughs> I'm more into... Uh, it's like, I'm not looking for a lavender marriage yeah. at the moment. So I will not be needing her <laughs> to show up at my room. She wants to come by and like do my hair and makeup. <laughs> we, can t- we could talk about that. But, uh, yeah, she, she was shocking. And then other, uh, like many other affairs and relationships that happened at this time, Paul Newman and Joan Woodward... They uh, started their romance and affair at the hotel, and uh, Paul Newman was married at the time, and Joan Woodward, she was engaged to Gore Vidal as a beard. Ah, <laughs> another read. lavender marriage. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it was at the time, probably, but uh, maybe not. Please look that up. But they stayed together until they both died. Wow. And they had like a really intense mm relationship they were deeply in love with each other and and it lasted forever even though paul newman you know yeah he was married with children yeah he was yeah. uh and had been then, married for a while i think i don't know he had like two or three i don't know how many children he had but he they did have kids together i think also and when people asked i think some even after his death people were like oh we know he had an affair um 
And she was like, that's not true. But, but when people asked him about his wife and like, did you ever cheat? He's like, why would I go out and have a cheeseburger when I have a steak at home? Mm. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's a good answer. <laughs> and there have been quite a few uh, over the years who definitely <laughs> are asked to leave for one reason or another. Uh, Warren Beatty's reason was because he ran up a large bill but he later returned when he was engaged to Joan Collins uh, because her accommodations were being paid for by the studio. Yeah, so they can trust that. Freeloader. <laughs> yeah, and also they were like, well, it's not under Warren Beatty yeah. where he might not pay. Um, so Gore Vidal. Uh, so Gore can I just ask, Gore Vidal is a, was a well-known writer, yeah. right? Yeah. He was... Bisexual, gay. I think he was gay. I'm I'm not positive. He was engaged to women, but he also yeah. But I think he, that was just to cut completely a cover. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he was a, also a frequent frequent resident of the hotel, and he wrote his version of Ben Hur there. He also wrote something called Myra Beckenridge, which uh, was inspired. From the ugly Sahara showgirl outside the Sunset Strip. And he wrote it first as a book, right? Yeah. And then yeah. it turned it into a movie. And scenes from Myra Breckenridge were filmed there. And Raquel Welch uh, dressed as the, Sa- the Sahara showgirl that had been there for a decade. This movie was considered one of the like, worst movies of all yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Like his, the novel was extremely popular. But then when they made it into a movie, it was like given that title, one of the worst movies ever made. And it actually kind of killed the book sales because the movie was so bad that people lost interest in anything having to do with it. So I think uh, Gore Vidal was a little bummed about that. Wasn't uh It was about like a, a prostitute? No, it was about a... Uh, it was about a trans woman who comes... Oh, right. Comes, that's, that's it. Yeah, who... who tr- tries to do uh, like sexual psychological experiments on men. Interesting. And it, yeah. And it takes some, some interesting turns. There's some very famous scenes. Like I, I think it was rated in C 17 at the time. Yeah. And there were some, some pretty uh, controversial scenes. Like I I think that the character rapes someone. Oh wow. With, with a tool of some sort or something. Oh my God. Like in the scene, Raquel Welch is like wearing like a lab coat or something, and like, and the guy is like, his arms are like tied to the table, and he's bent over. I haven't seen the movie. That's just a scene. You like, know a lot of a scene that kept coming up as I was googling <laughs> the movie. Everyone was like, "Also, this happens in the movie." <laughs> I was like, "I almost oh. want to watch the movie to know what the hell they're talking about." Yeah, and it's it, like, is it really that bad? Like. Probably wow. not. Because I've seen a lot of bad movies. <laughs> I've seen a lot. Of, it, you know what? It, no, no. It is that bad in like, it's a bad movie. It's not bad. It's, it's probably not a scandalous. Yeah. You can handle it. Um, <laughs> yeah. I've seen Game of Thrones. I'm sure yeah. I can handle my I mean, Rip Breckenridge. People thought The Graduate was scandalous. Yeah. And it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So interesting. Um, then we move on to... Director Nicholas Ray. Now, he's the guy that wrote and created Rebel Without a Cause. He retreated to the Chateau Marmont after 
walking in on his wife. Okay, this is really oh my gosh. messed up. Yeah. His wife, who's an actress, Gloria Graham. He walked in on her having sex with his son from a previous marriage. And his underaged son. His underage son. And they go on to get married, right? Mm-hmm. And have kids. Yeah, they, they wait until uh, he's an adult. Like, so he's like allegedly 13 <gasps> at the time that this I is going down. Oh, wow. And so they wait, and they wait 10 years, I believe. And when he's 23, they, they get married, have kids, are, ma- are married until her death. Wow, that is so yeah. weird. It, it completely destroyed her career and reputation as it should. Um, just, yeah. And they weren't, Insane. how old were they? In their 30s, 40s? Uh, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna guess 30s. Yeah, yeah, they were old enough to know better. I mean, t- yeah, she was old enough yes, to know better. Absolutely. Um, but Nicholas Ray is not so innocent. He is. He hangs out with you know, um, his actors and makes them audition in the bungalow that he was staying at. He had an affair with 16 year old Natalie Wood, who was the star, uh, one of the stars of Rebel Without a Cause in 1955. Um, and it's also said that in the 1950s, James Dean jumped through a bungalow window to ad- audition for the role in Rebel Without a Cause, only to find the movie's director having an affair with the actress, Natalie Wood. Who... So awkward timing. Talk about another actress who was... <laughs> the, the, it's not just the actresses, you know? I, I don't, I'm not trying to like make the women seem bad, but they, they're just as scandalous yeah. and raunchy as the men and she she had an affair with uh, Nicholas Ray and some other people she was known to go to bed with a lot of men at a very young age and despite a 27 year difference the two were having a torrid affair Nicholas Ray and, and Natalie Wood at the same time even though Wood was sleeping with a, her co-star Dennis Hopper reportedly Hopper would go on the go on to host orgies at the chateau. Okay, so we got a lot going on here. <laughs> so much. She was having an affair with multiple people, large, you know, huge age uh, gaps, and Dennis Hopper, who was also like gross, and not just gross, like they were sexually liberated and doing what they want. No, they these people were. They, they not everything was kosher, you know, like this. The underage, the orgies, the unprotected sex, the sexual assault. Like, this wasn't just, you know, we're going to a sex party and everyone consented and signed a paper and yeah. said, you can do whatever you want. This is like, things were not okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nick and Dennis were both having sex with Natalie and Ray got jealous. Dennis Hopper was, um, you know, in the movie with, uh, with that, her and he would cut his scenes. And screen time. Oh, that's how we got back at him. <laughs> yeah. Ultimately, Natalie chose to be with Ray. Oh, did should we mention the the really most disturbing part about this, where she goes and has sex with Hopper after? Yeah. So uh, Natalie Wood has sex with Ray, and then like right after she has a date with Hopper, she goes to meet up with him. They're getting busy and he wants to go down on her. And she says, you can't go. D- I just had sex with Ray. Like you can't. Right, and that looks inst- uh, but instead of, of being upset about that, 
it actually turns Hopper on and they end up having sex. Oh, that's what that is. Okay, so it's only Nicholas Ray yeah. that gets jealous. <laughs> I guess okay, Hopper was all right. fine with it. Cause well, yeah, because Hopper is into orgies. This is that's all true. making yeah. sense. Okay, yeah. and he's he's uh, you know he's sleeping with the woman, uh, the girl that the director is sleeping with. So he's like, oh yeah, a he's a little that, yeah, yeah. That action. Okay. All this all happened in the chateau. <laughs> In the 1950s, the good old days, yeah. you know, where and at this, everyone while all was this pure. is going on, all of them they're all rehearsing and discussing and working out scenes for Rebel Without a Cause. So behind what is you know a very acclaimed movie from that time period, all this drama is going down. Yeah, that's a that's a lot of drama, a lot of scandal, and and it doesn't end. There's constant affairs happening at the hotel it's where people go when they're either dumping someone being dumped having an affair and escaping war emotional and (laughs) world war ii uh and another well-known couple that has been seen at the chateau was lucille ball and desi arnaz and they were always having marital problems uh, Desi kept moving in and out of the hotel. He would stay at the chateau uh, kind of regularly because um, whenever he got in a fight and cheated on Lucille Ball, she was like, get the fuck out, stay in the hotel. They reconciled and, you know, it would go on like that. Yeah. Uh, there's a story and it's been unproven, so we don't know if it, Yeah, there were no know, witnesses. No witnesses. Well, there must have been one witness. Well, I think maybe Lucille or yeah. Desi told somebody that this happened. Oh. Um, okay. So they're having an, a fight at the hotel over uh, over an attached... What? What is it? Attaché uh, case. Attaché case. What the hell is attache, attaché case? It's like, I think it's a briefcase. Oh, okay. Yeah. Such a fancy word for something <laughs> so simple. And it was filled with money. And while they're arguing... The dollar bill supposedly went raining down on the strip because they opened it. Like they're having an argument and it bursts open and it's going all over everywhere. And no one seems to say that like, I mean, if money pours down on the Hollywood Sunset Strip, wouldn't you be like, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And say, yeah, what was up with that? I bet, I, I, I bet any, I can just see like Lucy having a hold of the briefcase and being just like threatening to throw it out the window and just Maybe being that's like, it. this is what, you know, what do you, and it just like pops open and just goes, yeah. Like, Oops. <laughs> I also think that it probably didn't go flying outside the sunset strip and more like in their room <laughs> and a little bit on the windowsill or something. Yeah. Because people would have, remembered money flying down on them yeah it, it, no matter what time of the day, day or night <laughs> and he was uh, uh yeah he would frequently stay there uh, when the marriage wasn't going well uh, that when they separated for a long time he would stay there even when they were um, on television together and then they reconciled uh it was just a pattern you know they were in love but he couldn't stay Keep it in his pants yeah like like all of them back in the day <laughs> Betty Davis of the famous Betty Davis eyes. She almost burnt down the hotel in 1958. She fell asleep in her bungalow, uh, watching one of her old movies. Also like awkward to, for everybody to know that you were watching like your heyday. And that's when you fall asleep. (laughs) That's so embarrassing. It's so Betty Davis. It really is. Yeah. Anyway, uh, she, uh, her cigarette lit, Probably the couch, I'm guessing, or maybe her bed on fire. 
And uh, the actor Lou Jacoby was staying next door, saw smoke coming out of the window, and most likely saved her life. He was able to ring the alarm. Uh, the entire hotel had to be evacuated. And then it happened again a few years later when an electrical short set off the alarm. And understandably, Betty Davis never went back to the hotel. But the second time wasn't her fault. No, the was second it? time wasn't her. She was just like, okay, okay peace out. <laughs> God is telling me something. I should not stay in this hotel <laughs> unless I want to burn to the ground. That's really funny. Betty Davis is... It, I feel like that story is just so her. Yeah. Like she would almost burn a place to the ground with her cigarette. That's... Yeah. And during also this time, Montgomery Cliff stayed at the... Chateau Marmont while he was recuperating from a, a really serious car accident he had after he left Elizabeth Taylor's party. And what happened was he, when Elizabeth heard that there was a car crash, she actually went out and rescued him from the site of the smash up and she saved him from choking on his own tooth. Ah. Uh, she then took Cliff to the safe haven of the Chateau where she nursed him and so he can recover. Uh, also, he didn't want to see anyone. He had a lot of facial wounds, a lot of fractures. He wasn't the same after that. But that's, you know, again, that was the place you're going to be when you have something like that happen. And um, yeah. Elizabeth Taylor was like his really good friend and yeah. basically was there for him. And Montgomery Clift was also gay, by the way. So yeah. another place that he felt safe. But it, he, he had a really rough time. If you read more about that period in his life... Uh, and people would watch his movies hoping to see the difference because he was filming the movie Rain Tree County at the time. And I think it was what, with Elizabeth Taylor. So they filmed most of it and then he finishes it after his surgery or something. And people kept on trying to see the difference from before and after or something oh, like wow. that. But he was pretty depressed. I think he didn't even like leave his room. He didn't even have like a window open. Like he was really like if your face is what makes you money and then that something like that happens, yeah. you're not going to be the same after that. Yeah. So as we move into the sixties, remember the, this is the time when the building starts to get a seedy reputation. It's in terrible disrepair. Uh, the owners, you know, it's being sold over and over again. News articles from this time describe it as an elderly castle. That's kind of sweet, actually. I like that. An, an elderly. elderly castle. Uh, a dowdy hotel, not as nice, run down, and shabby genteel, which I guess was their version of shabby chic. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, dowdy and run down is not a good... That's not nice. But elderly castle, that sounds kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> That's like a backhanded compliment I can yeah. handle. During this time, director and producer, writer Roman Polanski and actress Sharon Tate, his wife, they were living at the hotel uh, right before they were going to move into the house where the members of the Ma Manson family murdered Tate and her friends and also when they were at the hotel a lot of their famous friends at the time Mia Farrow Jack Nicholson they would party together I mean like crazy parties happen during the 1960s and 70s at the Chateau and um they were they were friends also with like famous photographers and and writers and it was just like a scene so also after Unfortunately, Sharon Tate gets murdered with her her friends. Roman Polanski doesn't, by the way, if anyone doesn't know the history. But this actually 
causes a concern for people staying in the Hollywood Hills. Even Led Zeppelin, the band, didn't want to stay at the Chateau anymore because of that's the murders. Yeah, the they proximity. Like, yeah. They were like, oh my God, people are just going to come and be killing everyone yeah. in the houses. And I don't blame them. Yeah. That it was a like really a wild time. time. Yeah. Yeah. And another famous actor who lived in the Chateau at the time was Dustin Hoffman. He was filming The Graduate classic movie. I feel like there's so many mm-hmm. stories about classic movies and art and, and music that were happening all having to do with the Chateau. Um, this guy named Griffin Dune, who I didn't know who he was before this. He was an actor, director, and producer. He remembers being a kid at the Chateau and during the 1960s he uh, would actually meet some of the most like famous people just walking around there, and he met Jim Morrison in the garage uh, there just being like, hey, what's up? <laughs> wow, that's he, so cool. I know. He, he, no, his childhood. <laughs> just being actually, a kid and just being like, oh, is that? His is that, aunt. Is that the doors? <laughs> his aunt is Joan Didion. Oh, wow. So, so and like, you know, the, the, the connection here is really cool. Um, he occasionally stopped in at Penthouse 64 with his parents. So his parents were writer-journalist Dominique Dune, famous for hanging out with celebrities and the literature crowd and, like, breaking stories. He did a lot of, um, I think he was, like, a journalist, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Of some, I mean, he. I said he was a journalist, but he, like, covered some really interesting stuff. And then his wife, Lenny, they would visit a famous music executive and gallerist, Earl McGrath, and his wife, Camila, um, that's also, they would hand over Griffith Dune, like, his first joint during this time. And this, he's a kid. Okay, so also interesting fact about all these people is that I think Camila McGrath, who's a photographer, she took some really famous pictures at the Chateau. And the show, based on the mo- book, not the movie, uh, Daisy Jones and the Six, mm-hmm. I think the main singer's wife was based off her because she her name was camila who's a photographer and they go also a lot to the chateau uh, or one of the characters lives there or something yeah and and not just that the mcgraths they would host a a a brunch salon every sunday drawing people like polanski and tate and all these other celebrities and um griffin dune you know he remembers that the mcgraths hired a carpenter named harrison ford uh, to board up one of their two bedrooms in the hopes of convincing the hotel to cut the rent in half. <laughs> and they succeeded. And of course, Harrison Ford becomes this famous actor. And so he's, you know, it's all connected. He was doing carpentry for Francis Ford Coppola, who then introduced him to George Lucas, I think. Something wow. like that. It was like, all these things are connected. All this stuff was happening at this time. And it's kind of crazy because Harrison Ford's... Uh, stories it's inspiring he tries to be an actor he's unsuccessful goes into carpentry and then because of that yeah he meets these people and then he gets back into acting yeah and he's in his 30s at this point yeah oh man i i could relate i mean i'm not an actor but like if harrison ford could do it we cannot do it what am i saying i'm not comparing myself to <laughs> but it's cool that that that's the story and um and anyone who doesn't know Joan Didion is, you should go look her up. She's an amazing writer. Yeah. 
it's just it's you can tell that I think a lot of intellectual people were hanging out at the hotel at the time. And yeah, I mean, I would love to be a kid. I, I would have loved to be this guy to experience all that. Yeah. What a what a crazy childhood that would have been. This time, as we said, it's kind of a, a bit of a rundown place. Uh, some crime happens as well. Susan Sarandon stayed there, and I think she was robbed multiple times while she stayed there. But one time in particular, it happened while she was in her room sleeping. All of her stuff was stolen. That's really creepy. That is creepy. It was during the 1970s, mm-hmm. right? But yeah. all the hotels, yeah. and all of America was just in a shithole. Yeah, it really was. <laughs> The 1970s was a horrible time, like, for everyone. Uh, so it makes sense. Yeah, except the Chateau was named a historic cultural monument in 76. So one brief silver lining moment. But uh, I love this this next one. Like, who doesn't want to imagine drunk Dumbledore? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, Richard Harris, the actor who played Dumbledore in the in, Harry Potter movies. In the first Harry Potter in The movie. first one, right, yeah, until he past um he was banned from the hotel apparently for getting drunk and banging on people's doors late at night saying that a nuclear bomb had been dropped this is way before he became way way before dumbledore yeah (laughs) he had a drinking problem and then he sobered up and everything so um but uh yeah so he didn't look like dumbledore when this was going down i'm sure or maybe he did. It was the 70s. Who knows? No, I don't, I don't think he did. <laughs> um, actually, fun fact, Harris hesitated to take the role of Dumbledore because, uh, firstly, because of his declining health, but he accepted because his 11-year-old granddaughter threatened never to speak to him again if he didn't take it. But he said in an interview that he was really concerned about doing it, about being associated with the films, because he was so afraid that it was going to uh, outshine the rest of his career. He said, uh, I don't want to just be remembered for being in those bloody films, and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen to me. And I definitely... um, I'm so sorry, Dumbledore. So sorry. (laughs) But that's exactly what happened to you. (laughs) And even even worse, you're remembered for being the first Dumbledore. (laughs) Well, I was... But the better Dumbledore. The better Dumbledore. Absolutely the better Dumbledore. Yeah. And if he didn't pass away, I think he would have Hands down. The Dumbledore forever. No, absolutely no contest there. Yeah. I was actually upset. Yeah, when I found out, I'm like, why would they replace this man? Yeah, I d- yeah, I thought they replaced him too. I had to look it up and was like, oh, okay, okay. They didn't have a choice. <laughs> well, that does it for Chateau Marmont Part One. Please check back soon for Part Two. We still have loads of stuff to talk about. We're going to talk about the tragedy that brought national attention to the chateau in the '80s. We're going to talk about more parties, more sex, more sexual assaults. Probably a lot more scandals, so definitely tune back in. In the meantime, please follow us on Instagram at Hotel History Podcast. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok, some iteration of at Hotel History or at Hotel History Pod. And you can also shoot us an email, hotelhistorypodcast at gmail.com. We would love to hear any horror stories you have, amazing experiences at hotels, any hotels you want us to talk about in the future, and just, uh, or just to say hi. We'd love to hear from you. So we will see you next time.